Happy Easter, everyone. Glad you're here. My name is John Schmidt. I'm the senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship Church. Inside the bulletin you received today, you'll find an outline of my message today. And appropriately, the title is Easter is Good News. I hope you consider that video good news. Uh, Emily's here this morning, so we're proud of you. So can we give her one more round of applause? That was a big deal. Good job. Thank you. And uh, we're, I'm, I want to share with you a lot of good news and explain why Christians have always believed that Easter is good news. You may not realize this, but the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are accounts of Jesus' life and his ministry. And each one of those accounts is entitled a gospel. And the word gospel simply means good news. Because there's good news in the life of Jesus. There's good news that he died on the cross for our sins. There's good news that he rose again. And I want to give you some very clear reasons from the scripture itself this morning as to why that's so. Before we begin, though, let me have a word of prayer for us, and then we're going to jump right in. Lord, I thank you for Easter Sunday that we can celebrate this day. Many of us are together with family and friends, and I'm glad for it. But Lord, we don't want to miss the meaning of the day and the significance of this occasion. And so this morning, Lord, I pray that you'll speak, speak and move me out of the way and teach us some things we need to know about why Easter is such good news. In the name of Christ Jesus, the one who rose on Easter, I pray these things. Amen. By the way, if you need a pen to fill out the blanks in your outline, just raise your hand. We'll have ushers coming up and down the aisles. They'll be glad to pass a pen to you so you can take some notes and fill in those blanks in your outline. The first passage of Scripture in your outline is from Mark 16. Some women had gone to the tomb where Jesus had been laid to rest. Friday evening, uh, he, on Friday, he was crucified. We call it Good Friday because it was good for us. Jesus died on the cross for my sins and for yours. That's good news. And so it's Good Friday. It was a painful Friday for him. It was the day when he took all the sins of the world upon himself, and then he died. But after he died, his body was taken down from the cross, laid in a tomb. It was just like a small cave that was hollowed out in the side of a hill, and a large stone was rolled over the mouth of the cave. The body had been placed in there in a hurry, and as was a custom of the day, um, spices and ointments and perfumes were put upon the body, and that it hadn't been done properly. They'd done it in a hurry before it got dark on Friday evening, and some women came back on Sunday morning after the Sabbath was over, and they were going to finish the job. And when they got there, an angel told them that Jesus wasn't there. He had risen from the dead. And in Mark 16, at the top of your outline, the story continues. After Jesus rose from the dead early Sunday morning, the first person who saw him was Mary Magdalene, the woman from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went to the disciples who were grieving and weeping and told them what had happened. But when she told them what, that Jesus was alive and that she'd seen him, they didn't believe her. Afterward, he appeared in, different form, in a different form to two of his followers who were walking from Jerusalem into the country. They rushed back to tell the others, but no one believed them. And still later, he appeared to the 11 disciples as they were eating together, and he rebuked them for their stubborn unbelief, because they refused to believe those who had seen him after he had been raised from the dead. And then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. And that's where I got the title for the message today. And then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Now, most of us are familiar with good news. I can think of times in my life when I received good news. I remember once when I was in seminary. Uh, by the way, I uh, earned my master's degree while I was in full-time ministry and living in Montgomery. I got it at Beeson Divinity School, which is on the campus of Sanford University in Birmingham. So twice a week, I'd drive from Montgomery to Birmingham for like six years. The glitter wore off after the fourth year, by the way. It got old, okay? Um, but, I, but I was in full-time ministry. We had a family. 
Uh, my wife would go to bed, and I'd stay up studying, and I was always just, just barely making it, getting, the work, getting my work done, getting my studying done. And there was one particular time I was just way behind. I had an exam coming up, and I knew I was completely unprepared to take this exam. And then before I left that one morning, I got a call from Birmingham. It had snowed in Birmingham. It had not in Montgomery. And they said, unfortunately, my class would be canceled, and my test had to be rescheduled. Darn. Okay. Oh, that was good news. I mean, that was such welcome news. I remember when uh, our uh, sons were going off to college, and my oldest son, uh, Cameron, was headed off to school. Uh, we had uh, prayed for scholarships and financial aid, and I remember getting the financial aid award from this school, and it was almost to the dollar of what we needed to make his college education a reality. And we got down on our knees in our living room, and thank God, that was good news. And 20 years earlier than that, about, or 18 years earlier than that, uh, when he had been born, and Cameron was 10 weeks early. And we had, um, when he came into the world, he spent his first 10 weeks in the hospital. And uh, I remember the day when my wife and I went to the hospital, and they told us, Cameron could go home today. And we said, well, that's good news. So we've had, I've had times in my life when it was just, hey, this is great news. Financial aid has come in. You don't have that test today. Hallelujah. Times of relief, times of blessing. Now, if you take all those occasions, wrap them into one, and then multiply it by a million, then you'd understand how good the news is that Jesus has risen from the dead. Because this isn't news about just an incident or a one-time occasion. This is good news for all people everywhere for all time. The best news the world could ever hear. And I want to give you four reasons why this morning. First of all, it's good news that Jesus rose from the dead because through Jesus we know that there is forgiveness of sins. Acts 13, 38, this is what the apostles said. Brothers, listen, we are here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sins. Colossians 2.13, Paul said, God made you alive with Christ when he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us, and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. He canceled the record. I mean, if this Connect card was a list of all my sins in the world, the Lord took it and canceled it. If that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? amen. That is such good news. Through Jesus, there's forgiveness of sins. We can come to him no matter who we are, no matter what we've done. And he'll forgive us our sins and make us clean. But there's more. God not only forgives our sins, he forgets them. This is a note in your outline. Not only does he forgive, he forgets. And we've all been around people that say, well, I'll forgive you, but I'm not going to forget. Oh, geez, thanks, that helped. Because you know if somebody says that, it's just a matter of time. They say they forgive you, but it's just a matter of time until the next incident happens. And then they're going to bring it out from under the table, and it's all in play again, Right? And some people think that's what God does. Oh, he'll forgive you, all right, but you mess up again, and he's going to bring up that nasty business that you had in that business deal five years ago. He's going to bring up your high school years. He will. He'll bring it all out again. And if you think that God forgives that way, you're wrong. I mean, you're just wrong. Here's what the Bible says. I will forgive their wickedness, Hebrews 8, 12, God speaking here. I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Psalm 103, for God's unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth, and he's removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. Notice it does not say as far as the north is from the south. There is a north pole and there is a south pole. There's a terminal uh, length of distance. It's a great distance, but you can measure it east to west. You can keep going forever. 
He's moved our sins that way, that far away. You come to Jesus and confess your sins, he'll forgive your sins and remember them no more. And that brings us to a life application for you and I. We must confess our sins to God and turn away from evil. This would be a great day to confess your sins to the Lord. If there's something between you and God and your conscience is sore, confess it to him. I mean, we're a room full of sinners here. The Bible says this. John, one of Jesus' disciples, wrote late in his life, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, then he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. I hope I don't have to prove to anybody in this room that you're a sinner. If you're married, gentlemen, your wife will confirm it. Okay, you're a sinner. It doesn't take much to prove it. We don't have to prove to our kids that they're sinners. They prove it themselves. We don't have to teach our kids how to be selfish. We have to teach them to share. In our schools, we have to put in an honor code, not a cheat code. Well, we got to teach these kids to cheat sometime. You don't ever have to teach a kid to cheat. You have to teach them to be honest. Why is that? Because we've all inherited a sin nature. We're all sinners. And that's why this is such good news to us. Through Jesus, there's forgiveness of sins. When he died on the cross, he paid the penalty for my sins and for yours. And he says, if you come to me and confess your sins, I'll cleanse you. I'll clear the record. I'll tear it up and remember it no more. And that's good news. So good news, Jesus forgives sins. Here's a second reason why Easter is such good news. It's good news because Jesus has restored our relationship with God. Colossians 1.18, Paul wrote this, God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and by him God reconciled, and please underline the word reconciled there, he reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of his blood on the cross. We are sinners. We just talked about that. God is sinless. Sinful, sinless. How are you going to bring them together? Jesus was the reconciler. He brought things together again. And he did it. He brought everything together. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of his blood on the cross. This includes you who were once so far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he's brought you back as his friends and circle friends. He's done this through his death on the cross in his own human body. As a result, he's brought you into the very presence of God and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Because Jesus died on the cross, because he paid the penalty for our sins, we can now stand blameless before our Heavenly Father. Instead of being God's enemies, on the opposite side of him, we're now his friends, and he can welcome us back. That's why it's so significant, this whole business of being friends with God was revolutionary. And when Jesus, he said the most startling thing to his disciples in John 15, he said, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I mean, the Son of God was calling his disciples his friends. Amazing. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave doesn't know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all things that I have learned, that I've heard from my Father, I have made known to you. And you and I, through Christ, can be friends of God. Now look, I want us to understand how revolutionary this is, because... In order for us to be made right with God, we had to be cleaned up. I remember uh, some of you have heard me share this in our membership class, in our Discover Center Point class, uh, where we explain, we want to make sure everybody understands how good the good news really is, but uh, God made this whole uh, understanding very clear to me through something that happened a number of years ago when my wife and I took a vacation 
in California. We decided for that vacation we would rent a car and drive up the coast of, of California on Highway 1 from San Diego to, uh, to San Francisco. Has anybody ever driven on Highway 1 before? It's beautiful. It's right on the west coast of the United States. And we had uh, one of our sons with us in a car seat in the back. He was really small at the time. And we were driving up the coast. And, um, and it's breathtakingly beautiful because on one side there's the ocean. It might be just you're traveling down the highway and it's a sheer drop into the ocean. And it's cliffs way up the side of a mountain on the other side. And here we were driving along the coast taking all these breathtaking views. The problem was is that on our way over to California and in the, in the flight over, our son had been screaming and crying because um, he had a, apparently had a massive ear infection. And uh, when we landed, uh, we went and found a pediatrician. He gave us a strong antibiotic that would clear it up. And he said, hey, but read the label on there. There's some side effects that might kick in on this because it's pretty strong. Well, we gave him the medicine and we really didn't read the label. As we're driving down Highway 1, we discovered what the side effects were. On the label it said, Warning, may cause severe diarrhea, okay? Well, that was the understatement of the year. And we found out, because our son was wearing a little bubble suit, which is kind of like a shirt that you pull over, and it snaps between the legs. And when this stuff kicked in, I mean, he just, he exploded. It's the only thing I can tell you. And it came out of his diaper and out the collar and out the sleeves and out the legs. And we're on Highway 1. There's no place to pull off for like 10 miles or other things. And so he's clapping and rubbing his head and, and by the time I find a place to pull over, he is thoroughly covered from head to toe. And so I get out of the car and I walk back and he's in the car seat there. And I'm thinking about how much does it cost to buy a rental car? I mean, how is this going to work? And, uh, and then I opened the door and my son reached up for me and he wanted me to pick him up. Now, I want you to understand something. I love my son, but I did not pick him up, Okay. In fact, we had to go in the trunk, get a box of diaper wipes, and beginning with the little finger, just kind of work our way around. And finally, we got him clean and got the car seat out and clean, and we found a laundromat in a town nearby and got all that cleaned up. But until we got him clean, I wasn't able to hug my son. Once he was cleaned up of all that mess that covered him, I could take him in my arms, which is what he desired and I had desired all along. Had nothing to do with whether or not I loved him, had everything to do with the fact that he was covered in filth. If I don't get rid of the filth, he's going to contaminate me. And right when all that was happening, it was a picture in my mind that the Lord made clear to me, well, John, this is the way it is between you and me. You are covered head to toe with sin. I mean, because people ask me all the time, well, if we're all sinners, why doesn't God just skip it? I mean, you're all sinners. Okay, sin's okay now. You all come in. Well, he can't because it would contaminate him. He is sinless. And so for us to be right with him, for us to have a relationship reestablished with him, we have to be made clean. And that can't be done with soap and water. That has to be done only with the blood of Jesus. For the sins to be forgiven, you and I have to be washed in the blood. A sinless person has to die for the sinful person. That was Jesus. The relationship could be restored. Luke 23, Luke records a little bit more of the crucifixion. On Good Friday at noon, and, uh, Luke says, darkness fell across the whole land until about 3 o'clock. The light from the sun was gone. And suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn right down the middle. And that doesn't mean much to us, but you have to understand how the temple was laid out. There were courtyards where all the people could come and offer sacrifices. And then there was a building in the middle of the courtyard. In that special building, there were two chambers. The first chamber 
was called the holy place. And the priests could go in there and offer prayers on behalf of the people and burn incense and make petition to God. And then there was even another chamber, a smaller chamber in there, and it was called the holiest place, the most holy place, or the holy of holies. And only the high priest could enter in there, and only once a year. And every time he entered, he had to carry in the blood of a, an animal that had been sacrificed and make atonement for people's sins and for his sin. These people were so sinful. They kept sinning over and over again. And what's so significant is, is on the day that Jesus died, that curtain that separated the holiest place, the holy of holies from the holy place in the temple, that curtain was torn from top to bottom, right down the middle. There was no longer any barrier between sinful people and holy God because Jesus had paid the price once for all, for all time. And in John 19, it says, when all this happened, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. What was finished? The separation between sinful people and holy God. Jesus had made a way to bridge the gap. He'd reconciled us. God had wanted to pick us up all along, but he couldn't until we'd been made clean. Now that we were clean, he says, come on in. Hear the good news this morning. You can come to Jesus no matter who you are, no matter what you've done. If you and I confess our sins, he'll forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Come today. Do not wait. The life application for us would also be on this. You and I need to spend time with God every day. We're big on reading the Bible here at Centerpoint. We'll help you with a Bible reading plan. We'll teach you how to pray. We'll get you in a connect group where you can find accountability and other people to work, out, work this out with you. But Jesus died on the cross to make a relationship possible. Well, why on earth would we not then just blow God off and just say, well, I don't have time for you? I mean, the relationship is now possible. The curtain is open. The doorway is there. You and I can come to God anytime. His word is free and available for us. Right now, we can hear from him and learn from him every day. We've never lived at a better time than now for us to understand the Bible. Revelation 3.20, we understand God's heart on this. He says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open that door, well, then I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Circle the word friends. I hope you see a recurring theme here. We were enemies. Now we're friends. Separated. Now we're together. Covered in sin. Made clean. Easter is good news. If you agree with that statement, would you say amen? amen. It's good news. Easter is good news because there's forgiveness of sins. Easter is good news because a relationship with God has been restored. Here's a third reason. Easter is good news because Jesus has conquered death. I mean, when he rose from the dead, he rose from the dead. He conquered the grave. When uh, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to the tomb, an angel spoke to them and said, Don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come and see where his body was lying. Come and see. I mean, every time I talk about the Easter story, I want to make one thing very clear because people misunderstand this all the time. An angel came down from heaven and rolled away the stone. He did not roll away the stone to let a, an anemic, wounded, limping Jesus kind of crawl out. I mean, there's some people who say, well, Jesus 
really didn't die on the cross. He must have just kind of fainted or fallen into a swoon. And then in the coolness of the tomb, he kind of revived. And then when they rolled the stone away, he was able to kind of crawl out. I mean, that's not what happened. The angel didn't roll away the stone to let a wounded Jesus crawl out. He rolled away the stone to let the women look in. Jesus wasn't there. And when he appeared to his disciples, he was whole and healthy and strong and full of power, the power of Almighty God, because that's who he is. The reason that the stone was rolled away, look and see. Your Savior is risen. He has conquered death. The tomb is empty. And it's still empty. Because Jesus is alive forevermore. And if you and I put our faith in him, then we can live forever. Understand this. Jesus conquered death. And that's what the resurrection proves. And this is one enemy that we will all face. I mean, I hope you understand within a hundred years, in a hundred a hundred years from now, everyone within the sound of my voice will be dead. All of us. Well, how are we going to deal with that eventuality? And Jesus has said, You put your faith in me, and even though your mortal body might die, you'll live forever. And you'll have a brand new body that'll never die again. If you're not familiar with that, Paul wrote about it in 1 Corinthians 15. Listen to this. The news gets even better. When you put a seed into the ground, Paul is responding to a question, by the way, from some people who lived in a city of Corinth who had written him and said, hey, what happens to us after we die? And when we go to heaven, what kind of bodies will we have? Here's his answer. When you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. And what you put in the ground that's not, is not the plant that will grow, but only a dry little seed of wheat or whatever it is you're planting. Then God gives it a new body, just the kind he wants it to have. Well, it's the same way for the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies, which die and decay, will be different when they're resurrected, for they will never die. Our bodies now disappoint us, but when they are raised, they will be full of glory. They're weak now, but when they are raised, they will be full of power. Then at last the scriptures will come true that say, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death. But how we thank God who gives us victory over sin and death through Jesus Christ our Lord. When Paul was writing, he said, you know, you put a little kernel of wheat in the ground. Well, if you'd never seen a wheat stalk before with heads and leaves and everything came out of it, you'd be amazed. I mean, all that came out of that little seed. Yep. He said, it's going to be the same way with our heavenly bodies. Our mortal bodies, which are just like a dry little seed, are nothing in comparison to our heavenly bodies, which would be glorious and full of power and live forever. Somebody needs to say amen or hallelujah right now. I mean, I hope that's good news to you this morning, that we have brand new bodies that will never die again when we're in heaven. These mortal bodies fail us. And if you're young and strong and in your prime, good for you. Some of us are a little past that, okay? And it becomes a little clearer every day that our mortal bodies are failing. And the older we get, the more clear it is that, hey, I, I want a new body. My youngest son, Graham, and I just returned from a trip to Kansas. We took a road trip uh, to go see my mom. Uh, if you're visiting with us today, I shared with our congregation about a month and a half, two months ago, my mom received a diagnosis. She's 83, and she received a diagnosis that her liver is full of tumors, that are, and she was, they were inoperable, basically, and that um, she's going to succumb to liver cancer sometime in months rather than years. And so um, my youngest son and I, we drove up there and spent some time with his grandmother, with my mom this last week, 
and it was a marvelous time. And she's sleeping longer than she used to, and um, she's getting weaker. But what was encouraging was to talk to her about her faith in Christ. And she said, you know, if I didn't have my faith in Christ, I'd be really worried. But I'm not worried, because I'm going to get a brand new body. She said, this one's shot. (laughs) She's got arthritis, and oh my goodness, she's got all kinds of pains, and uh, the cancer is making her weak and tired, and she goes, I'm just looking forward to it. Uh, my dad died a year and a half ago, and he had Alzheimer's, and she is convinced that he is whole and healthy and strong. I'm convinced of it, too, because of the promises we just read here. His faculties have been restored, and he's living better than ever. I was going to have her share that with you. We took along an iPhone, Graham and I did, and we took a, some uh, video of her uh, talking about this. The only problem was every time I'd ask her to talk about something, she'd always kind of drift into how proud she was of her son, John, being the pastor of that church. She'd work that into every conversation. <laughs> I go, Mom, we're going to cue that up again. Can we, can we leave out the part about, uh, about me being such a good kid? And she'd go, yeah, sure. And then the next time would be, I have six kids, and I'm really proud of all of them, especially John, who's a pastor. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like, uh. <laughs> so... She would, she's going to be a mom to the end, okay. And, um, uh, but the whole thing was, she was very clear on the fact that uh, Jesus is her Lord and Savior. And because Jesus conquered death, she will too. There's a life application for you and me in this. Just like my mom, you and I, we, need to lo- we don't need to any- be longer, any more afraid of dying. We no longer need to be afraid of dying. My mom's not afraid of dying. She even asked me once, she said, well, is that... Is that wrong? I mean, I'm not scared. No, Mom. You settled this a long time ago. When Jesus was talking to Martha, a sister of a man who had died, a man by the name of Lazarus, he was standing outside of Lazarus' tomb. Martha and he were having a conversation, and Martha had said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd just been here a few days earlier, you could have healed Lazarus before he died. Wish you'd come sooner. Now he's dead. What's interesting is, is that Jesus said to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Listen to this. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And it was shortly after that, he told Lazarus to come out of the tomb. Jesus is stronger than death. He proved it when he raised Lazarus. He double proved it. When he raised himself. I mean, only the Son of God can do that. Jesus had said he would die and come back to life again. And his words were true. That's why he rebuked the disciples when they didn't believe it. Why didn't you believe it? I told you this was going to happen. Now stop doubting and believe. Go tell people the good news. Your sins have been forgiven. Your relationship with God has been restored. You don't have to be afraid of dying anymore. This is good news, and people need to hear it. There's a fourth reason it's good news. It's good news because now we have the power to live life as God intended. Now we have power to live life as God intended. I also pray, Paul wrote to the Ephesians, you understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is available to you and me. 
Philippians 2.13, Paul said something similar. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. If you're here today thinking, well, I could come to Jesus, but I don't want to be a hypocrite. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that in my life. Well, I'd come to Christ, I'd confess my sins, but I'd just be a hypocrite because I know I can't change. I've tried to change in the past. Well, then you misunderstand the deal. You don't come to Christ and say, okay, if you'll forgive me for everything in the past, I'll straighten myself out from this point forward. You go, well, you're not going to be able to do that. You come to me, you don't only surrender your past, you surrender your future, you surrender your whole life. I will place my spirit inside of you and he will change you. He will give you the desire to obey me and the power to do it. So you bring your raggedy old, tired old, sinful old life and I'll place my Holy Spirit inside of you and he'll change you into the person you always wanted to be. I hope you heard Emily before. She did not say, I came to a Saturday night Easter service last year and from that point on I made up my mind I was going to change and dadgummit by my own bootstraps I pulled myself up and I made myself a new person. If you heard that, you weren't listening. What she said was, I surrendered it to Jesus and he changed me. And you can applaud that. Jesus is still in the changing business. The same power that raised Christ from the grave is available to change you and me. But the life application is key here. God's power comes through surrender. Again, hear this. This isn't determining I'm going to be different. This is coming and saying, God, I can't do it on my own. I can't forgive my own sins and I can't change. So I'm going to bring my bitterness to you. I'm going to bring my addictions to you. I'm going to bring my sinful habits to you. I'm going to bring my fears to you. I'm going to bring whatever it is that's standing between me and the life you desire for me. I'm going to bring whatever it is that stands between me and others and between me and you, Lord. I'm going to surrender it all to you. When Paul wrote the Galatians, this is what he was talking about. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love and joy, peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified him there. Since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our life. We nail our old sinful passions, our habits, our indulgences, the things that we should never do. We nail them to the cross. All our guilt and shame about the things we should have done and never got around to. Nail it to the cross and say, God, forgive me. Make me new so next time I'll do it right. Change me so I can be the person you want me to be. I mean, the resurrection proves not only is there hope for us someday, but there's power available for us to change this day. Now. I mean, this is good news. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us who have surrendered to him. He gives us the desire to change and the power to do it. So if you don't come to Christ... Well, what's holding you back? Well, he won't accept me. Yeah, he will. Jesus died on the cross. He'll clean you up so you can walk boldly into the presence of God himself. Well, I don't have the power to change. Yeah, you do. The same power that raised God from the, Christ from the dead lives in you. Well, I don't know if he wants a relationship with me. I don't think he likes me. He sent his own son to die on the cross for you. He died for you. What are you waiting for? If you've been far away from God, today would be a great day. To come home. God loves you. He sent his son to die for you. He paid the penalty for your sins and mine. 
He made it possible for us to be right with God and become God's friends, no longer his enemies. He promises us eternal life with new bodies that are far superior to the bodies we have now. And he'll give us the power to change so we can become the people he wants us to be in this life. Now, my friends, this is good news. And so I have good news for you this Easter. The only thing that holds us back from Jesus and from being right with God is us. And if you want to be right with God and your sins forgiven and the power to change, then you and I need to surrender. If I could ask you this, take your outline. There's a tab on the outside that just says, I surrender. It's perforated, and if you kind of just tear it off. What he asks you to do is take your pen and this I surrender piece and kind of finish the statement. There's something that's been holding you back, a fear of tomorrow, a worry about today, guilt about the past, a sinful habit bitterness. Whatever it is that's holding you back from having a right relationship with God, we ask you to write it on that piece of paper and take that piece of paper, fold it in half, and while our worship team leads us to bring it forward, we'll have ushers here with nails and hammers. There are crosses at the front of the room. And as they're leading us in some worship, we ask you to take it and nail it to the cross and leave it there. Surrender it. I surrender my addiction. I surrender my shame. I surrender my fear. Whatever it is that's holding you back, today would be a good day to surrender it. Leave it nailed to the cross where Jesus died to wash it all away. I'm going to have a word of prayer for us. If that's a desire you have today, similar to the desire that Emily had last year, I invite you to come. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I just want us to surrender everything to you. I don't want to live a life burdened down with guilt and shame. I don't want to live a life chained to a sinful habit that I can't overcome in my own strength. I don't want to live a life worrying about tomorrow and fretting about the future. I don't want to live a life paralyzed by the fear of dying. I want to surrender my whole life to you. My past, my present, my future, my money, my friends my time, my plans. I want to surrender my life to you. I want you to give me the power to change. I want to be the person you want me to be in this life. And Lord, I want the complete assurance that you're going to give me new life and a new body that will live forever in heaven. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe that he rose again on Easter Sunday and conquered sin in the grave once and for all. And God, I want you to drive that home in my heart, even as I drive a nail into this cross. If that's a desire of your heart, just silently where you are right now, if God has spoken to you about something in your life that you know needs to change, a doubt, a fear, a sin, surrender it now. He'll hear you. Pray about it right now. Say, God, I, you know. Well, God, I, I can't believe we're talking about this today. I can't overcome this on my own. I surrender. Well, God, I thank you that, I can, that we can all boldly approach your throne no matter, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done. And Lord, I pray that as we just uh, come up and put some pieces of paper and nail them to the cross, Lord, you will do real business in our lives and begin to change us. Empower us with your spirit. 
Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Make us the people you want us to be and prepare us for heaven. I pray these things in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.